I am not an addict. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend that I know how they feel. Because I don't. Sure, there's a few things I do that would be hard to stop, but I truly feel I could. There's nothing that I can think of that wouldn't be... That I wouldn't be able to stop doing under my own will. In terms of addictions. The closest thing I could think of is caffeine. Because if I go a day or so without it, I'll feel sick, irritable, and fatigued. But that's understandable to me. It's caffeine. I think there's a lot of weight when you apply the term addict. And I feel it would be insensitive to just tag that title onto anything just because it may be difficult to go without. Welcome back to the Shadow Breathe Podcast, episode 12. I am Sean, and I wholeheartedly want to thank you for being here. This week's episode is called Clocking Addiction, and it's taking a look into the dark depth of dependency and society's views and sometimes harsh labels on those who succumb to the vices. As I said right out the bat, I'm not coming into this one from any real experience as I'm not in those shoes. Some may even think that I don't have a right to speak on something as heavy as this due to that very fact. Those people are right to have their opinions, however, I'm not somebody who feels they have the ability to police what other people are allowed to or not allowed to talk about. I can speak about anything I please, and very much intend to do so, when it comes to something or somebody I care about. Because I'm not somebody who can truly relate to this reality, this episode I'm focusing on being heavy on examples and understanding as best we can along with trying to convey to those who do relate or even live that reality on a day-to-day basis that they're not they're not their addictions they're our friends our family our neighbor or or a familiar face they deserve to not feel any less than that human life is something to care about people who were judged without hesitation are people I care about. Sacrificing help for their suffering because those who aren't can't relate to their problems is a problem that I care about. Somebody feeling like there's no point in stopping as if there's nobody who cares or thinks the world would be better without them are minds and hearts that I care about. Something I don't care about? The self-indulging backpatters who feel as if they can pick and choose who's worthy of speaking up for those who need as many genuine advocates as they can possibly find. It's honestly wild when you think about it, as if those who struggle with addiction don't have enough problems. You actually have people who would rather silence those outside of the world in order to save room in some sort of non-existent space for their own voice. The type of people who only like to hear themselves speak, and only listen so they can answer with their rehearsed responses. You know, I'm not sorry to say that there's no such thing as the helping hand Olympics. You're not going to get a gold medal for pretending to care. What's even sadder is that at the core of it, they actually do care. People in those instances, though, their ego is what they're addicted to. I decided to dedicate this episode to addiction because, to be completely honest, it just came to me. I was sitting at my desk, editing a previous episode, and I had to... I had taken a break. At the time, I'm just stressed, depressed, and a mess. I didn't mean for all that to rhyme. Honestly, I didn't. And I was scrolling through I was scrolling through Facebook while SmackDown was on the TV. And I saw something that just sort of made it click. I don't even think what I saw had anything to do with addiction. If I remember right, it was a music video, and for some reason I just got the motivation to do a week on addiction and dive into that realm and identify its many faces. I'd also like to mention that a few months ago, and I'll say now I'm not affiliated or 
<clears throat> anything like that with a channel or its creator. However, we have talked through email once, which I'll get <clears throat> which I'll get into later. I'd just like to put this out there for anybody who may also be interested. I came across this YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly. It's a channel and I'll even call it a beacon of life. Started and operated by Mark Leda, based out in Los Angeles, California. Mark interviews people from all walks of life. He interviews the homeless, addicts, prostitutes, pimps, con artists, hackers, strippers, dealers, and a lot more. All walks of life. Many of which are the lives that are so heavily engulfed in layers of misunderstanding and negative perception. Despite how you were to feel about some of these categorical people, this is humanity. Mark and his channel give you this beautiful look into reality this beautiful look into the reality of this world and how circumstances and choices can lead us into places we may not want to even admit are there. I think it's really important for all of us as people to realize that everybody you see, no matter how similar or different they may be, are people just like you. I think a lot of people can relate in the sense that I am in fact from the outside looking in. Still I care in enough to dedicate an entire episode towards a topic that I hope encourages more people to view it a bit differently. Ideally in a more empathetic and warm way. I also hope if any of you listening do suffer or live with an addiction, this can remind you that people do care. I hope it can remind you that you do matter and that there is hope. You have the power to change. God has instilled that in you. Perhaps you believe differently than I do. That's completely alright, but even still, the power to overcome adversity is within you. We all have the means to survive. We just have to find it in ourselves, and that comes with all challenges and struggles in life. We call them demons, curses, vices, not too far from the truth. They will haunt you, harm you, and they will try and make you believe they aren't going away. Addiction, defined by our good friend Merriam-Webster, is a compulsive, chronic, or physiological, or psychological need to for a habit-forming substance, behavior, or an activity having harmful physical, psychological, physiological, or social effects and typically causing well-defined symptoms upon withdrawal or abstinence. You have the initial thoughts of addictions like alcohol, cigarettes, pills, and heroin. Then you have these differently categorized habitual vices that aren't really addictions in the clinical sense but can provoke more serious issue. For example, what some will call porn addiction, tattoo addiction. And you also have the ones that are sort of thrown back and forth between what is an acknowledged addiction and what isn't, such as gambling and sex. The conversation of what makes an addiction legitimate can be held in a million different ways, but the way I see it, whatever it may be, if there is something that you're doing in order to escape feeling or become numb to something, and you're finding it difficult to stop, you found yourself in a problem and shouldn't feel as if because you don't check some box that it's not worth seeking help or trying to help yourself become better. They have programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. They do something called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, where they work on these who, those who have difficulty with gambling. They even have programs for those who have loved ones, people they care about who are addicted to something and need help dealing with them. For example, there's a sex addicts anonymous and there's also a program called COSA COSA codependence of sex addicts where those who have been affected by those with compulsive sexual behavior can seek help in order to help 
understand how to deal with them and how to deal with themselves having done so. For alcoholics, we all know about AA, but there's also a program called Al-Anon where they take the fundamentals of Alcoholic Anonymous as well as the first syllables and shape it towards helping families who were affected by loved ones who suffer with alcoholism. It's really amazing when you think about it. Because when you're able to help both those who wrestle with their addictions as well as those who they're around, you're expanding the success rate so rapidly for so many. There's a really popular show that ran from 2013 to just last year called Mom. That's about family life, friendships, and structure involving addicts and watching the personal growth that people can go through. It's a hilarious comedy as well, but <clears throat> the seriousness and the way it deals with things like this is incredible and worth it. Worth a watch for anybody who would be interested in something like that. So, interestingly enough, two topics that I did not expect to merge were the, was this discussion of addiction and professional wrestling. I think I've mentioned it in the podcast before, but if I haven't and you didn't know already, I'm a huge fan of professional wrestling. I watch WWE, AEW, and I keep up with New Japan, Impact, MOW, and the NWA as much as I can. Well, anyway, back in December, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, Jeff Hardy, was released from WWE after he left mid-match during a live event in Edinburgh, Texas. For those of you who may not know, Jeff Hardy has had a very rough track record in the world of professional wrestling, most of which having to do with his struggle with substance abuse. He was released from WWE first back in 2003 where he was off TV until he debuted for TNA Wrestling in 04 against another one of my favorites of all time, AJ Styles. Fun fact, Jeff is actually the reason I started to get into TNA and gave it a chance. He was there until June of 2006 where he was let go to do where he was let go due to getting suspended twice and just being hard to deal with. He returned to the WWE in August of that year until August of 2009 after multiple suspensions of their wellness policy. About a month later, Jeff was arrested on drug charges. He then went back to TNA in January the next year, 2010. A little over a year later, on March 13, 2011, one of my favorite wrestlers, on the day after my birthday, mind you, at TNA's Victory Road pay-per-view, which is like their WrestleMania, Jeff Hardy would face Sting, one of his idols, in the main event for Sting's World Heavyweight Championship. This match would go down in history as one of, if not, the worst matches and moments of wrestling. Jeff came out to the ring about 40 seconds after his music hit and was stammering and moving in a slow motion the entire way. He then finally got into the ring where he was lounging and taunting the fans. He was a heel character at the time, so that's perfectly normal, however... He was doing it all at about the eighth of the speed he should have been. Eric Bischoff, who was running things back then, came out and tried to save the situation, to which he didn't. Honestly, short of somebody scrapping the match and not letting Jeff go out there, there was nothing. There wasn't much anything anybody could have done to save what happened. Eventually, the match started, and from bell to bell, the match lasted about 88. 90 seconds or so ending with Sting forcing a finish pinning Jeff and walking off visibly just as upset as the fans in attendance were Hardy was off TV until August of that year when he returned and went into this program where he was trying to find redemption and seek the forgiveness of his fans and peers eventually he made his way back to WWE once again where he stayed from April 2017 until December 2021
Now, the reason I gave you a rundown of Jeff's wrestling history is because in December, he was released by WWE following an event when during a match at a house show, he left the match in the middle of it and disappeared into the crowd. In the crowd, he was high-fiving fans, taking pictures with them, as well as being noted to seem a bit groggy. From what I've heard, he was confronted about it by the company higher-ups and was drug-tested, and before they got any results, they gave him an ultimatum. They said he can either go into rehab, or he can be released. And he refused rehab. So they kept their word and released him. Now given Jeff's history, many assume, many I assume would understand where the company was coming from. However, the way they went about it goes to show just how quick people can be to judge. Now I'm not in any way saying patterns should be ignored. I've stated multiple times the opposite of that. What I'm saying is we should never be we should never be quicker to judge than we are to understand. From what I understand, I could be wrong, but I believe I heard he was tested for both drugs and alcohol in the system. According to Matt Hardy, his brother, for those of you who may not follow wrestling, Jeff had to legally fight for WWE to give him his results back. I believe that to be the case, that is. Either way, he got his results back, and they were completely clean. He had nothing on his system. They released on impulse. Now, you can say they released him because he just left mid-match, but the fact the fact they told him to, to do a rehab or stay home, that tells you right there they let him go because they just assumed he relapsed. I don't personally know him, of course. That would be amazing if I did, but... Jeff is one of those people who will be the first person to tell you that he's had a long battle with his demons, and they've oftentimes got the better of him. In some low moments. A lot of us can relate to that. A lot of us can relate to that sense of struggle. When I heard about what happened, him walking out and the way he was moving, being referred to as stammering... At one point, I of course was concerned and hoping that it wasn't a relapse. It's not a matter of ignoring patterns, it's a matter of understanding the person. So it sounded like it was possible, but I was staying hopeful that it was something else, something not serious. As I said already, that's what it was. Jeff is still clean, he didn't relapse or fall back into an old habit or vice. And according to Matt, he's doing very well and is very happy with the low stress going on, which makes me beyond happy. Of course, you could see it online, all over social media, how Hardy was plagued with quotes like, he fell off the wagon again, or Hardy's at it again, or you have the classy shocker, and the, and the, the sky is blue, insinuating that it would be no surprise or nothing worth mentioning if he were to have fallen back into that place. Thankfully, though, there were a lot of well wishes, too. Like, I believe a Russell News site called Russell Talk ended their coverage hoping the best for Jeff. So there's definitely both support and condemning, but the negative outlook seemed to come in such a heavy abundance. So much so that it may make it even more seemingly so that it's just a world full of people rooting against you, but it's really not. I hope that if you're going through this battle... If you're an addict or a recovering addict, then you know there's a lot of people rooting for you. There was another source I'd like to mention too and talk about a little bit. The channel Vice has a series called Black Market that's hosted by the late great Michael Kenneth Williams. If you don't know the name for whatever reason, he was an incredible human being as well as an exceptional actor who made waves as the character Omar in The Wire, Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire, and was in many other shows and movies as well. Before I go on, I, would, I just want to say that if you search the video I'm going to mention, it does show people handling and mixing lean, 
So if visually that's something that could trigger a negative reaction or make you uncomfortable, then I would advise not watching it. I owe it to you to at least warn you so there's no surprises. <clears throat> I know the mind can work. I know how the mind can work, so keep that in mind if you do decide to search and watch it yourself. If you're curious and think it may be problematic, watch it with somebody you trust, somebody you can confide in, who will who will comfort and protect you however you need protecting in that situation. There's no shame in that. Do what's best for you. That's what it's all about. It's just us, alright? Nobody's judging you, nor is that anything to feel ashamed about. There's no such thing as weakness when you're working on your strength. Remember that. I want to mention as well, like I did with Soft White Underbelly again, I'm of no affiliation with Vice or anything like that. But episode 4 of their Black Market series was about the state of lean. Lean culture and how dangerous it's gotten. The episode is called Lean Scene. The turn up is getting dangerous. Michael K. Williams takes the viewer directly into the scene of its origin of Houston, Texas and explains how it expanded all over the country. <clears throat> the fascinating and heartbreaking thing about this episode was Michael K. Williams, while filming it, was himself a recovering addict. You wouldn't be able to tell that by looking at him or by listening to him. He not only came across as just a normal guy, but he had stature about him. No ego or eliteness, but just this natural presentation of an amazing man, because he truly was. He truly was just that, an amazing man. His addiction didn't change that about him. His addiction didn't define him. It was just part of him. A part he tried so hard to suppress and overcome. Sadly, on September 5th, 2021, Michael K. Williams purchased heroin that would... <clears throat> purchase heroin that would lead to his body being found the next day in his apartment, unresponsive. The dose that took his life had been laced with a deadly amount of fentanyl, and he was 54 years old. A beautiful soul taken from this world in a way that nobody deserves to be taken. The reality of this, though, is something important. There is no bringing back somebody once they've passed away. What can happen, though, is somebody's story saving others from the same fate. It also is a strong example to both those who suffer with addiction as well as those who lift their noses at those who do that addiction is the problem not the person the goal we should have as human beings both us who don't have those same demons as well as those who do is eradicating the problem and not the people who are struggling with it it's worth mentioning though that in order to help somebody or to receive help the person who needs it has to want it that goes for anybody who's struggling with anything they have to want it want the help in order to get help they have to want to change in order to be able to really want it want it so bad that they're willing to go the deepest corners of hell inside themselves in order to come out the other side and walk into the light again I think that's one of the biggest things people struggle with on both sides of it. On one end, you know what you're doing is harmful, you know it's destructive, and it's leading you down a path that has some serious ramifications if it's not handled. It feels so good, though. The moment you engage, it takes you to the place that you found through difficult times, a place you feel like is home. So while you're in that state of feeling good, you lose sight of reality and the harm it's bringing. It feels like home because you, because maybe what is supposed to feel like home only brings you pain or exhaustion, so you've adopted this high as your home, which is why it's so hard to give it up. So because it's painful or uncomfortable to deal with, 
<clears throat> so because it's painful or uncomfortable to deal with reality and what's going on in your environment, you spent all this time in this high. This state of created peace that you haven't allowed yourself enough time in the real world to find a better environment or better people to keep you in an actual place to feel safe and at home. Since you haven't given yourself that time, change is going to be scary because giving up that vice is almost like a trigger of PTSD because you're being taken from your home again because you've made this damaging state seem like your home. If that's the case, it's almost paradoxical. You've created a place to escape a feeling or fear, so the more you escape there, the harder it'll be to leave. It's like your house is being burglarized, so you sneak into a small hidden room to feel safe, but it's full of toxic gas. You're scared though, so you'll be... So you think to yourself that if you just hide there for a little bit, eventually they'll leave and you'll be able to get back out and be safe. Problem is, you now feel as if you're hidden so well they can't find you, so just in case they haven't left yet, you stay in there. You slowly start to get used to it, even feeling safer than ever because you're still aware that you're breathing in toxic fumes. However, it's almost morphed into a sense of necessary evil because you know what's hurting you, but you don't know what's out there, so you now treat it as if dealing with the evil you know instead of the evil you don't. Do you see how easily somebody can slip into that false sense of security? If you're thinking to yourself, I would never, or how could somebody be that naive, then I applaud you for having such a blessed life that you've never felt so much fear or pain that you've had the urge to hide away however you could. It's also worth mentioning that a lot of people who are addicts also said at one point they could never. That wouldn't be them. That's a realization that when you have it, you should replace any feeling of I'm not an addict, how am I supposed to know how they feel with I am not an addict, so I'd like to try and understand where they're coming from. No boat has ever been saved from sinking by somebody on the dock boasting about how they'd never let that happen. None of us would ever let something bad happen until it happens and it's important that we all as human beings understand that we understand that and stop walking around with this sense of it hasn't happened so it won't ever. Back to what I was saying though, it also goes with those who see somebody making bad choices, causing themselves harm, and want so badly to help them but they're not willing to take the help or try to get better. It's not a good feeling or a good sight seeing somebody you care about unable to see the harm in their actions or seeing them but not wanting to change or do better for themselves for whatever reason so you're not only hurting by watching them self-destruct but you're also waging war with yourself by trying to understand what the best thing for you as a support system can or should do sometimes it's implied the best thing to do is allow them to do what they want we're free to do what we please, so there's nothing you can really do to stop them. If you try to stop them, <clears throat> if you try to stop them forcefully or through any sort of aggressive means, it could very possible cause them not only to dive deeper into their vice, but you're also cutting their ties with somebody they can feel safe with because now they're not going to feel safe with you. They're going to be cautious and maybe even evasive of you. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it truly seems like a forward and bold action is needed in order to save those you love, those you care for. So you take action to intervene for them, to get away from access to their release. This can be in the form of intervention where you lock the door behind them and make them, make them hear you out, or by going through legal means to commit somebody into rehab facility against their will in order to make them receive the help you feel they need. There's even the possible way of, if they're doing it, 
if what they're doing is illegal, taking legal action and calling law enforcement on them. Drastic, but that that does happen. Some people really feel sometimes that that's the only way to get somebody help. Whatever the case may be, though, the thing to always remember is that every person in every situation is different. I'm not recommended you do I'm not recommending you do any of what I mentioned. If you find yourself or somebody you care for in that situation, I'm not saying not to do any of what I mentioned. I am in no position nor am I qualified to advise you on how to how to tend to those you love that are dealing with addiction. So I just want to make that clear. What I'm saying though, again, everybody in every situation is different. My philosophy on how to be there for somebody when it comes to anything really is the first step is being there. Just be there for them. Allow them to know you're there. Then if you feel as if they are going through something harmful, make it clear it's not your business and that if they don't want to talk about it, that's okay. But just ask them. Have a conversation with them about how you're feeling and ask them how they're feeling. You don't have to be quick and direct. There's nothing wrong with easing into a topic if it helps. But it's important to just talk to them. Think about it. If you immediately engage with them with questions and assumptions, you're approaching them as if they're a problem instead of a person who may have a problem. So just talk to them, person to person, so they understand and realize that that's who you see them as. I can't speak from personal experience, but I can't help but think that sometimes people are hesitant on being helped because they feel like they're being looked at as if they're the problem. So they get standoffish and sort of detached. The only thing I can compare that to as far as my own experience is, is when I've opened myself up to certain people and they just instantly go into diagnosis mode. And it's almost like they're trying to fix me instead of listening to me. I'll be honest, that's something I've been trying to get better at also. I had a friend of mine message me a few weeks ago. She and I don't talk a whole lot, but thankfully she knows she can message me if she ever needs to talk to somebody, so she did. I won't get into what was happening, but she confided in me something personal. And because I'm somebody who does genuinely want to be helpful and healing, and I do care about her a lot, I went into let me fix you mode a little bit. Now I was listening to her very clearly, so I wasn't just giving advice blindly, but immediately after the conversation stopped, I was upset with myself because I felt I should have been more back and forth and less problem solving, if that makes sense. I just hated the idea that she may have felt more judged or not so much judged but maybe perceived differently than she'd have liked to have been and less like she had an outlet. We've talked since then so I didn't hinder our communication thankfully. It was just something that bothered me and how I feel I handled it. I, I would much rather be seen as somebody who is a safe outlet than somebody who just thinks they can fix you. Now, I can't fix anybody. But being a person who can listen and talk to you about things can make a big difference. It's just how I feel anybody should be treated. Like the person they are and not the problem they're having. You also have to keep in mind that in order to help somebody, they have to want help. They have to be willing to change before they're capable. And people are very much capable of changing when they have the want, the motivation as well as the support of others. Keep in mind your own self. Keep in mind your own self needs as well too. It's never selfish to reel yourself in in order to continue yourself safely.
Now, I wanted to read you guys some quotes before I end of this one. From a soft white underbelly interview on their channel with a lovely woman named Sylvia. Sylvia, at the time of the interview, was addicted to heroin and living on Skid Row in Los Angeles, California. So I wrote down some things she said and was going to recite them for you. However, I decided to do something. I decided to escape my comfort zone for a moment and reach out. I sent Mark an email asking him if I would be allowed to use an audio sample from this interview. He responded and graciously enough approved my request and has allowed me to put a sample of that interview here for you guys. I'll tell you now, hearing it come from her is a whole lot better than listening to me try to read it for her. So, the next few minutes you'll be hearing the voice of Sylvia from her interview with Mark Leda on the Soft White Underbelly channel. It's weird because my whole outlook on life has changed being out here. I don't want to die out here. I don't want to be another girl found in a tent, burned alive, you know? I've had one of my closest homeboys die in a tent, go into the coroner's office as a John Doe. And I don't want that to be me. And um, my family, they don't know where I'm at. They don't know if I'm alive. And I don't care because they don't care to find out. I have a Facebook, they can find me. But these people that I'm now choosing to make my family, they check on me every day. They make sure I'm okay, they make sure I'm fed, clothed, healthy. My, my, my boyfriend now, he, because I had an eating disorder, I, I wouldn't eat. He makes sure I eat every day. And it's little things like that that people don't know matter to somebody, but they matter, you know? And I've had my heart changed for people out here because I'm one of these people out here. I never thought I'd be somebody to live on Skid Row. But I can say that I, I, I stay on Skid Row. But it gave me a heart, a heart that I never had, a heart to care for somebody that nobody wants to care for. My mom, my, my, my ex-boyfriend's mom has been out here since she was 15 years old. She has HIV and lung cancer and she's dying. Nobody checks on her. Nobody feeds her. All they do is feed her crack. One day I'm gonna find her dead in her tent. I know I am. And what is anybody gonna do about it? People are dying out here every day. And it's like, what is it? What is anybody doing about it? I'm just one girl stuck out here. I try to make it home. I, I don't know what my next step is, but I don't, I'm not gonna be out here forever. I'm 25 years old. And I don't, I don't wanna stay stuck out here. Some of my closest friends are, are those people that talk about how they were how gang members and murderers and my, my, my best friend, she's been a prostitute since she was 14 years old. But I love her because she's real and she has a heart. I always thought I was better than everybody because I was from Orange County because I grew up in a good lifestyle, a good home. But I'm not better than nobody. I'm, I'm, I'm just, as, just as low as everybody else. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that because when you're at your lowest point is where you get your greatest strength. And my next move in my life, people are gonna be shocked because I've set in my heart my next steps. You know, thing, three things to keep secret are your, your, your finances, your love life, and your next move. And my next move is gonna be my greatest move. And my life isn't going to be nothing what it is now. I'm going to make sure because nobody else can but me, you know? I just think that's something powerful, you know? Absolutely just a powerful thing to listen to. Now, it's worth mentioning that everybody 
everything people say is their side of the story. These interviews are a glimpse into people's lives and we're shown what they allow us to see. And Mark will be the first to tell you that nothing should be taken as fact. They're telling their story and we're given the opportunity to listen. It's up to each person who listens to decide what they believe anybody says. That's a rule of life in general. When I watched this interview though and I listened to her talk, I felt somebody who's broken. Somebody who's in a place she doesn't want to be. She, at the time of the interview, was at a low. In the thick of her addiction, she still had the awareness and understanding of what tools and what real support is. I just think listening to her talk in just this short clip opens a window to so many things. A hint of what can cause this sort of struggle. A weakness we can feel when it takes a hold of us. And then having the drive and passion still within through all the hardships and struggle to know you deserve better and want to get better. It's such a mountain of development inside somebody who's feeling crushed by that mountain. But they know they realize they have the strength inside them to lift it off them in time I just find it amazing and heartbreaking and motivating and I certainly hope everybody can take something positive from this piece of communication between her and Mark I dug through the comments and found an account claiming to be Sylvia's cousin I again don't know for a fact if they're who they say they are but if by chance that they are they gave an update if this person is her cousin the only update I've been able to find is that about a year ago Sylvia had and a guy that she knew through Skid Row was able to move away from the area and had a place of their own somewhere they said they were both trying to fix up their lives and that Sylvia is quote in a better place then about six weeks ago there was another update from the same person who said she hadn't been in contact with her for a while, but she'll occasionally post on Instagram. So, if this person is legit, then it sounds like she's at least doing well. So, I truly hope that she is, and that's that, and that that's the case. Again, I just have to make sure I make it clear. It's all speculation, and none of the updates are to be taken as fact. I just certainly hope it to be true and that Sylvia was able to find it in herself to get better and become the person she determined to be away from a bad environment and her addiction under control I would like to sincerely thank Mark for allowing me to bring that piece of audio here and share it on the podcast with all of you he didn't have to do that he could have easily just ignored my email I'm not a big name my podcast is still very small but he not only took the time to read my email but replied to me and gave me permission to use his content so again if you're listening mark i genuinely thank you and appreciate everything you do for everyone you do it for and to sylvia if by chance this finds your ears as well i truly hope you found the path you're meant to walk i pray for both of you so much peace and many blessings if you haven't already come across it, you can find Mark's channel, Soft White Underbelly, on YouTube. I'll be linking the channel in the descriptions. I'll also be linking the full video with Sylvia, so you can <clears throat> so you can go and watch the entire 13-minute interview with full context and visuals. There is also a subscription channel for SoftWhiteUnderbelly.com, where for $10 a month you will have access to all his interviews that are on YouTube as well as a lot of exclusive videos that aren't on YouTube all of which are on the websites they're fully uncensored so if you love his channel as much as I do and want more as well as pure without bounds it would be worth checking out the link for that as well so the link for that will be in the description as well this episode was different for me with it being such a sensitive subject and myself not being in that world, I really wanted to make it show that I'm not trying to explain or teach or instruct anything, 
none of my episodes are like that. It's just my perspective and thought process. But especially this one. It was important to not come off as I know something others don't or that situations to these types of problems are easy. That's such a naive way to think. If it was easy, there wouldn't be such an abundance of people struggling with it. The truth is, addiction is a group effort to conquer. That's at least the case very often. Personally, I feel, just my opinion, that the best way to support somebody who's an addict is a combination of love, empathy, patience, and blunt honesty. I don't think it's productive at all to be rude, hateful, or bitter. However, people need honesty. It doesn't help sugarcoating, beating around the bush, or being passive either. You need to tell them that what they're doing is harming themselves. It's hurting those around them, and it's going to end with a short conclusion if they don't take the steps to getting themselves clean. This is of course mainly towards those addicted to alcohol and drugs, but any addiction where your personal health, hygiene, and life progression is halted is dangerous too. It's important to have compassion and understanding, but it's just as important to have honesty and direct points. Somebody in the comment section of Sylvia's video shared an Oscar Wilde quote that said, We are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. We're all in this together. And no, that was not a high school musical reference. I would not do that to you guys. It just happens that it's a true statement. I'm not an addict, but there are addicts out there. I'm not better than any of them. They're not better than me. We're in this world together, and together is how we're going to get through it. It's so much more productive and fruitful when the entire village works to keep the water supply flowing. There is no take or give, only shares and compassion as well as some tough love and even tougher spirits. So I certainly hope you've all been able to take something from this week's episode and apply it to yourself. Whether you're somebody who's struggling with an addiction yourself, if so, I hope you know that you matter and that there are people who will listen and care for you. More importantly, it's vital that if you don't already, you need to care for yourself. I know sometimes it may seem as if you don't matter or you're just a statistic on a social blog's Excel sheet, but you're not. You are so much more. You're somebody worth fighting for, and I truly hope you start fighting for yourself. If you're a recovering addict, I'm so proud of you for taking that fight and swinging hard. Never allow any doubts and insecurities. Never allow them to creep in to convince you that you are any less of the beautiful badass that you are. You are a life preserver for those who feel there's no way above where they're at in terms of how they feel. You're proof that it does get better. It will get better when you invest and love yourself enough to let it. If you're like me, who may not struggle with addiction, I hope you found some familiarity with how those who do struggle with it are perceived or viewed. I would hope you're similar to me, whereas you try not to judge too quickly or condemn so fast. Maybe if you're listening, you're one of those people who see an addict on the street or a news article about somebody ODing or being arrested and peg them off as somebody who's just not important. You know, they've somebody who says they've done this to themselves, so why should I feel bad? If that's you, I'm not here to call you out. I'm just here to ask you to take a moment and consider next time you see that to remember that that's a person. That's somebody's child, that's somebody's parent, that's somebody's sibling, somebody's cousin, somebody's friend. Perhaps you started this video with a closed-minded perception and now you've opened up some. I certainly hope that's the case if that's how it started. If not, and you think 
what I'm saying is just nonsense and that it's pointless to want to help somebody who you've deemed is too far gone, well, that's your right. But I very much disagree, and I will continue to try and always do the person behind the problem first. I don't know the all... I don't know all the answers, but I care enough to present the question, and I hope you will too, because the next person you see struggling may be somebody you love. Whether it's somebody you know or not, you have the potential to carve out how they'll feel for the rest of the day, the week, maybe even the rest of their life. Keep that in mind while you're living your life, because you have the power to possibly save or ruin another's. I would hope that you prefer the former. Thank you all so much for coming back this week. I enjoyed doing this episode and look forward to many more where I'm able to go outside my familiarity and even outside my original content and bring elements from other wonderful people into this podcast. Once again, a big thank you to Mark for allowing me to use his audio. Also, a big thank you to Sylvia for telling Mark, as well as all of us who subscribe to Soft White Underbelly, her story. My support goes out to Jeff Hardy and his health and happiness. Can't wait to see what's next for him. I also want to say rest in peace to Michael K. Williams. An absolutely incredible soul taken from this world way too soon. My prayers and love goes out to his family. You are very missed, brother. Next week's episode is Sonder and Change, where I'll be talking about just that. Change is something I struggle with myself, so it should be a great chance to expand on the subject and vent out some of my own anxieties as well as discussing the interesting world of understanding how all those around us have their own entire lives where we're not the starring role. It's an odd feeling when you think about it, but odd is good because it means you're thinking. So I hope you'll be joining me for that. Before I sign off too, I just want to reiterate, if you are struggling with anything, please reach out. There are programs, there are numbers, there are hotlines, there's people that care. Please reach out if you need help. There is no shame in it. Please always remember that. Before I go, of course, be sure to check out the link tree, like and follow the Facebook page, subscribe on YouTube, go ahead and check out the shop if you haven't, see if anything stands out to you. You're free to donate through the Cash App if you're so inclined, but no pressure at all. It's just there if you'd like to. Stay updated to know when new things drop and to find out what episodes will be coming up next. As always... I hope the rest of your day is as wonderful as you are. This is the Shatter and Breed Podcast. I am Sean, and as always, stay safe, be thankful, and God bless.